Good morning. How's everyone doing this fine, wet, cold Sunday morning? Good? It's warm in here, though, so that's good. Not in Puerto Rico. Well, we're not there. We're here. Well, welcome again to River Valley Community Church. We're so glad you guys are here to worship with us. We are concluding our series going through the Apostles' Creed this morning with that final statement that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. And so we will uh, finish that up, um, even though it's Christmas time, it's, it's fitting. And then um, if you're wondering when there's our Christmas series, well, it's be next week as we celebrate Christmas together um, as a church. Um, so let's go to the Lord in prayer before we dive into the statement from the Apostles' Creed. Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning when we can gather together as your body, when we can gather together as brothers and sisters and confess to one another and to you and to ourselves what we believe, that we believe in you, that we believe in our, our Father, the Almighty, and we believe that you sent your Son, your only Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and that through his life and his death and his resurrection, how he saved us that we believe in your Holy Spirit, which unites us to you and to the Son. And we believe in your church, the forgiveness of sins, and this rest, yes, that we will be resurrected and we'll have a life that goes forever with you. So, Lord, we praise your holy name. We pray for everyone who calls River Valley home, whether they're here with us this morning or join us online. We'll be watching later. We just pray for all of us to be knit together by our common faith and our love for you, first and foremost, as well as our love for one another. Lord, we love you. We seek you and pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. The American poet, Ralph Waldo Emerson, wrote, It's not the destination, it's the journey. And since then, it seems like everyone has jumped on that concept, and writers have, have expressed this again and again, that the focus shouldn't be on where we're going, but on that the fact that we're going somewhere, that the focus is not so much the end, but the journey that we're taking. Writers have said stuff like, focus on the journey, not the destination. Joy is found not in the ending of an activity, but in doing it. Or things like it's good to have an end to journeying towards, but it's the journey that matters in the end. Even Ferris Bueller, Bueller jumped on the bandwagon when he said, life moves pretty fast. If we don't stop and look around in a while, you can miss it. It's this concept of this not so much where we're going, but it's how the life we're living right now and what's going on right now that matters. And there's truth there. There's great truth that we take from that. And yeah, we should be concerned about the here and now. And, and the yes, uh, how we're living life is important, and enjoying what the life that God has given us is very important. But when we start thinking about how these sayings and more like them measure up with scriptures, I think we'll find a little bit of a different balance, maybe a little different emphasis. Because the Bible makes it very clear that while life matters now, the destination is a motivator. The destination is a guidepost. The destination actually reaches back from where we're headed back to now and makes the now have meaning and purpose. That it's the, where we're going to be with him forever that actually causes our life right now to have focus and meaning and, and, and how we should organize it is all based on that. That the end makes all the difference for our life now. 
And we see that again and again in these emphasis in these verses that the Bible, we can think of like Philippians 3, 20 through 21, which talks about that our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This concept is focused that, hey, this end, that we're waiting for Jesus to come, and when he comes, we will be like him. And that is what actually makes our, us look at our lives now and be able to say, hey, we have citizenship, not here, but in heaven. That the end is our hope that changes everything about now. And so why the journey that we're on, called life, of course matters. And the Bible mentions this and speaks to us when it gives us commands about how to love and to serve and, and to glorify God in all that we do. It speaks of it all in terms about the destination and how it flavors and puts uh, the right tint on our life now. And so we can look towards where we're going that guides us how to live our life now. And that's why the Apostles' Creed, I believe, ends with this statement. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. That this confession of the faith says we're ending where we're going. We're ending and stopping what we believe by saying this is what is coming. This is what we're awaiting. That we will be changed. That we will have a life after this life, that we'll have a life that is glorified after now, that we'll have a life forever with God, and that is an encouragement, a motivator, and it pulls us forward to live for him now. So where would you go in the Bible to see this, this truth spelled out? There's many places we can go, but today we're going to be camping out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't, have no fear, it's going to, whoa, that's got real loud, it's going to be on the screens as we go through this, and we're going to hit a couple of the sections in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We just covered a little bit of this chapter when we talked earlier in the Creed about Jesus Christ, about how he arose from on the third day, and how he, he, he experienced the resurrection, um, and this emphasis there, and um, we talked about that because it's the truth of what 1 Corinthians tells us, but also it shows us that his resurrection is the model that our resurrection will be based on and that we can have assurance that we'll be resurrected because Christ was resurrected. So we're going to look at two sections in this chapter, verses 20 through 23, and then later on the chapter 50 through 57. So let me read to you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting verse 20. Paul is speaking to the church in Corinth, and he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who, who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then as coming, those who belong to Christ. And then when we go to verse 50, it says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the imperishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. 
When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus, our, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we read these passages, and we can ask, what do these mean for us? Well, they tell us the hope we have that awaits us in the future. That we can sum it like this, we faithfully trust the promise to be made new. That the Christian's faith rests in this, that what we experience now is not the end. That we have a life awaiting us. And that the hope of the Christian is that we'll be forever with our God in a resurrected, glorified body. The final hope for the Christian is not to be some disembodied soul in heaven as we think about it so often in cartoons or in movie scenes, but the hope is that we will actually have a resurrected, glorified, sin-free, pain-free body that will, will live with God perfectly in harmony forever, for eternity. That is the Christian hope. That is the Christian confidence that what awaits us. And so we faithfully trust the promise to be made new. And when we look at 1 Corinthians in these, these verses, we see that we look at this resurrection and what it means, and the first thing that stands out to us or should stand out to us about the resurrection is that our destiny is an embodied destiny. It's an embodied destination we're headed towards. And if we're curious about what this looks like, what awaits us, Paul says, look to Christ. In verse 20, he makes it clear that Christ was raised first as the first fruits of the people who will be raised, as the model in which we can look to and we can see how we will be raised and how what we can expect and what we can experience. That Christ first experienced death and resurrection for us so that we can have the confidence that, yes, the assurity, yes, this will happen when we have faith in him. And when we look at Christ, what do we see? We see Christ in this body that people recognize him who recognize him. That he ate with his disciples. That he also carried the scars of life and his death on his body. And so I think that gives us an inkling of what awaits us that when we will experience resurrection, we too will be recognized by one another. It will still be us. We're not absorbed into something else. We're not totally you know, not us anymore, but we'll be us, but we'll be a perfected us, a glorified us, that will still be human, but we'll be human as humans were always intended to be. And that, yes, we might carry the scars of our, of our life upon us, but there will no longer be scars of pain, but there will be badges that show how God brought us to where we were and are. And when we look at this surety that we'll have this embodied destiny, the Bible uses this word often of our destiny is to be glorified, that we will be what humanity was supposed to be, that we'll be freed from pain, we'll be free from the effects of sin, we'll be free from all the things that bring us down or distract us, but yet we'll be how God made humans to be in perfect relationship with him. 
And this is our hope. And it's a future hope. As verse 23 makes clear that this happens when Christ comes again. That we're waiting for this, expecting this right now, but it's not happening. I think we're all well aware that's not happening right now. But we wait it. We expect it. And it's a future hope that happens when Christ returns. All who believe in him, all of humanity actually will be resurrected, but all who believe in him will be resurrected to glorified bodies to be with God forever. And we await it and we expect it. And it's our hope. It's a quick word about hope is that so often nowadays we use hope as if, man, I really wish this would happen. I have this hope and I just kind of wish it might fall into place. But when the Bible uses hope, it's never like that. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about this, this certainty that we know this is true, but we're waiting it to happen. That when Paul speaks about hope, he's saying, this is going to happen. We know it's going to happen because it's based not on us, but it's based on our God who never fails. And so we hope and trust this is going to happen. It's not some whimsical wishing that's going to happen. The Christian hope is a surety. This is where we're headed. This is who we're headed towards. And that makes all the difference. That we have this hope that fills us with confidence fills us with faith of who we worship and who we're headed towards. That this promise is God will not leave us here in our present state, but he has a plan for us, an end in mind for us that is glorious. An end in mind for us that we long for. And these resurrected bodies that we're headed towards, they're not just... 2.0, still the same. They're different. That we'll be changed. We're transformed. We see that in verses 50 through 53. It talks about how we go from perishable to imperishable. We go from mortal to immortal. We go from that which is destined to die to that which is destined to live forever with God. And that is what we trust and we wait for, that we go from, we change destinies, we change, our bodies are actually physically changed to be from failing mortal bodies that experience the sin-ravished world that we live in right now to bodies which are glorified, made perfect, free from sin, free from death, free from pain, free from mourning, free from all that weighs us down what a hope that is. For it doesn't matter where you are in life. It doesn't even matter what you have experienced in life. We all long for that. As simply as if you've ever awakened with a crick in your neck, you long for that. If you've ever experienced a loved one passing away, being taken from you before their time, which is always before their time, we yearn for that. If you've ever been struggling with sin in your life that you can't seem to put to death, we want this. Do you ever have wondered how could I possibly serve my God like I'm called to? We yearn and long for this future. We await it with trust that that is where God 
is taking us to experience this glorified body with him. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible talks about that. That's Romans 8, 29, and 30. It's called the golden chain of salvation by some, which goes, for those whom, God talking about God, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. I love this passage because it tells us what awaits us as well as what God has done. And I love it so much because 12 years ago, sitting in seminary under a really well-known scholar, he read this, this passage, and he says, and he stops at glorified, and then he simply looks down at his arms and his body and says, glorified? Because all of this passage is, is, is in the past tense. And we know that. Yeah, God saved us. He foreknew us. That was in the past. He predestined us. That's in the past. He called us. That's in the past. If we have come to know Christ, he's justified us. That's in the past. And we get down to glorifying. We're like, how can he say that's in the past? I'm not glorified. But I love it so much because Paul is saying with certainty and with assurity that God is going to do it so much. He's confident that God's going to do it. They can speak of it as already have happened. That is our destiny. Not on us. It's not left to us. But because God has said it will happen. And so we trust in this promise. We faithfully trust the promise to be made what are some implications of this when we look at the fact that we are headed towards an embodied destiny? Well, the first thing is that it means the material is good. Often we can get maybe over-spiritual, and we start talking about how the spiritual good and maybe the material is not that great, which is not a Christian thought at all. For real, right back in the beginning of Genesis, what do we see? God creating the world and created what? He created good. And he made humanity, body and soul, together. That's how we're made to be. And so that has implications that when we look at this world, it is good, and we're supposed to enjoy it because God has given it to us to enjoy. And he's given these great pleasures for us, these great joys. Why? Because they serve as signposts that point to the greatest joy, which is him. And so we enjoy life, and this means that we should enjoy life, and we should enjoy God's creation. We should take care of God's creation and all that is encompassed in that. And we can see that the material is good just as following God and spiritually is good. That body and soul, humanity was made together. It also changes how we view what our destiny is. It changes our view of heaven. And it changes our view of where we're going. So often people think about heaven and they think about that heaven that I've mentioned already of that character of uh, maybe having a halo sitting on a, a cloud and it's golden and all we're doing is praising God and are strumming a harp, and they're like, man, that just seems so weird and so foreign to what I experience now. How can that be enjoyable? But what waits us? It's not some disembodied state in heaven. That's the intermediate state, as theologians call it. That is where we go until Christ comes again. But when Christ comes again, what is our eternal, everlasting life? What does it look like? Being in a body as we're made to be, but a perfect, resurrected body to worship and live with God and God's people forever. So it changes how we view where we're going. It changes how we view what awaits us. And this destiny can only come about 
because of this final victory that Christ has secured for us. That death is defeated. That death is done away with. That we can now look at this, this punishment that came about in Genesis 3, this curse that all of humanity is under because of sin is now taken away because of Jesus Christ. And those who trust in him know that we no longer have to fear that boogeyman that awaited all of us. We no longer have to fear what awaits us when we do die physically. Because we will still die physically, but we know what awaits us in the end, and we know what's happening, and we know who will have us through it all. And that is our God, our Savior. And so it, it changes how we view death itself. It changes maybe how we even view a Christian funeral. Maybe it changes how we view our own coming death, physical death. Yeah, we still mourn our loved ones. It talks about how God even mourns with us in the Bible. We mourn when a loved one passes away and it breaks our heart because we want to be with them. But if they believe in Christ, we also rejoice. For now they experience no more pain. For now what has happened and what has weighed them down will be no more upon their life that they will be with their God. And then when we look to ourselves, so often we are scared about death and dying. So much so that in our society now, it's kind of verboten. It's forbidden. We don't talk about death anymore. And we're kind of scared of it. But the Christian has no more fear of death because he knows that death has lost its sting. That Christ has conquered death and that that is not the end. In fact, you could argue that that is the beginning of the rest of our life with God. Because we faithfully trust the promise to be made new. The Apostles' Creed says, We believe in the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. That we're resurrected to live forever, everlasting life. Always, from that point on, through all eternity, we will be resurrected to experience that perfected life in harmony with our God that Revelation 21 puts so beautifully. When it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of the water of life without payment. We see this vision of the life that awaits us. A life that is with God. 
first and foremost, we're headed towards this eternity. This is going to be where we are forever. As long as this existence and God has us in his hands, which is for eternity, we will be with him forever. And it will be life with God. That he will be with us and us will be with him. And this language is so intensive that we will be in that relationship that all humanity was made to have, which is with their creator, their God. A harmonious relationship with sin will not darken our, our doorsteps anymore. We will have this perfect, glorified relationship with the God who made us. Will we will finally be complete. Will we will finally be satisfied. Will we finally have no more longings or desires because we'll all be filled in our God who will have us forever. And there'll be nothing that darkens this experience. No more pain. No more tears, for God has wiped them all away. The moment will be longing, no more wanting, for all have come to us. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more anything that distracts us or brings us down from being with our God. For we will be made new. This is our hope. Let that sink in. That that is what awaits us. That if we have loved ones who have passed away before us, who knew Jesus Christ, that is what awaits them as well. So we trust, faithfully trust, the promise to be made new. What does that mean for us right now? It means that we have hope. Not the wish of the world, but hope, the confidence of Christianity, belief in our God. There is no doubt, there should be no doubt in us that this is what awaits us. And when we know this future, it reaches back in time and grabs us right here, right now, and it gives us hope. It doesn't matter how our day went, we have a hope that's bigger than that day. It doesn't matter how well life is going for us, we have a hope that colors how we view this day, that we have this hope that changes how we even see how God's working in our lives because we know where he is taking us. We know where he is leading us. We know how he's using now in some way to make us ready for the then. And we trust and we have this hope which frees us. So often we get, we get caught up in worrying about how we're going to respond today or what maybe people think about us or maybe what's going to happen in our business or maybe what's you know, going to happen in, in a, a personal relationships and those are important and we should actually be wise in those. But this hope comes back and shows us even if things do not work out, even if your worst dreams happen, you have a hope that is greater than all of that. You have a hope that is greater than any failure you can experience and a hope greater than any success you experience. We hope and trust in this God so that we can endure the now for the glory of God because we know <clears throat> that he'll wipe away every tear and bring us to where we're going. It also means we have purpose right now. That this, this truth in the future reaches back and actually gives us purpose to live for God and to be on mission for God. This is why this chapter in 1 Corinthians ends, which I did not read the last verse of this chapter, 
it ends basically with this hope, with this purpose. When it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, the, that, the Lord, uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Therefore, Paul starts that last verse, therefore. What's the therefore? Because he has just laid out this hope we have. He has just laid out where we're going. And he says, because of this great hope we have, therefore, don't be moved. Therefore, stay on task. Therefore, know that what you labor for the Lord is not in vain. It's worthwhile because it will last forever. It's for wild. It's worthwhile. Why? Because it has eternal significance. I love the movie Gladiator. Might be a little switch there. But if you know the movie Gladiator at the beginning, uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius, the journal, he's encouraging his men, men, and he has a small little line that says, Brothers, what we do in life echoes in eternity. Now, for the Roman soldiers, okay, maybe they have historical significance. It echoed a little bit. For the Christian who is on laboring for the Lord, for the Christian who God uses to spread his kingdom, for God to uses to spread his gospel, for the Christian who is used to serve, to use to love, to use to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, what we do echoes in eternity. That's what Paul is saying, that we know what we're doing is not in vain, that God is going to use it in great ways that we can't even fathom. So Paul says, therefore, be immovable, steadfast, always giving yourself to the work, the work that we give to the Lord. What would that look like in your life? to actually apply that lesson to our lives that because we know where we're going, we are changed now to be steadfast. Steadfast in the ways you serve and love, your family, your church, the people around you. Be steadfast in those things. Be true to those things. Immovable. That when the tides and the currents and the waves and, the, and, and everything of this culture come against you and want you to change what it means to be a Christian or change how live in this life, be immovable and stand on the truth of Christ. That we give yourself always to the labor of the Lord, giving yourself fully to loving, serving, proclaiming for his glory. Because when we believe where we're headed, this right belief leads to a right living for God. We faithfully promise, we faithfully trust the promise to be made new. So think about what it would change in your life to know where we're going and have it change how we live right now. The Apostles' Creed ends with a simple word. Amen. The simple word, amen. We say it all the time. We say it in our prayers. Maybe if someone's on a roll, on a, on a sermon, someone might shout out, amen. I didn't hear that many this morning, but that's fine. <laughs> but we say amen, right? We, and we, we, kind of, we, we know it, it comes at the end of prayer. It's, it's tradition. But have you ever thought or have you ever looked into what does amen even mean? It's actually a Hebrew word, amen, 
And it's transliterated for the Greek, because you can find it in the Greek, that it says it's amen. And we say amen in English, but it means truth, or this is true. And that's why Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, you'll see in modern translations, truly, truly, he's saying amen, amen, I say to you, and he gives them God's truth. And when we put it at the end of a prayer, when we say amen, we're basically saying, so be it, or I believe this, or you know, let this be true. We're, we're expressing our belief in what we have just said. We're, we're basically saying what we have just said is our statement of belief, that we believe God is going to do it. And so how fitting is it in the Apostles' Creed that starts off with, I believe, now ends with this simple statement, which means, I believe. Reaffirming that what we have read, what we have proclaimed out loud, what we have just spent several weeks going through and talking about how it's based in the Bible, this is what we believe. This is where Christians throughout all time have stood. This is our foundation of our belief built on the Bible, and we believe nothing less than this. This is where we stand in our historical faith. I believe. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. <clears throat> I'm going to actually mess up now. <laughs> Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to the heavens and is seated on the right hand of God the Father, from which he will come to judge the living in the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. For this is what we believe. Join me in prayer. Darren, Father, thank you so much for laying out your truth in your words so that we know who you are that we can know how to respond to who you are, that we can grow in your ways and we can be who you have called us to be. Thank you, Lord, for your word that makes it clear on how we are saved. That's not our own doing, but it's only through Jesus Christ, your son.